Welcome back to another edition of the Shane Holcomb Show. I am the S-H-A-N-E. It's been a while since I've been able to record the podcast because how busy school has been. But I'm so excited to be back talking with sportscasters who do this thing for a living. And who better to come full circle with basketball and the pandemic with the one and only Joe Lunardi. Joe, the last time we talked was almost a full year ago now. We were both, of course, heartbroken over what transpired in March of last year, the cancellation of our favorite sporting event of the year. Now, however, we get to preview an exhilarating Sweet 16 and beyond of an NCAA tournament in the ensuing days. First of all, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Once again, it's really appreciating taking time out of your day to talk with me. How's everything going, man? It's good to see you. I'm, I'm great. Thank you, um, Shane. I, I, I'm glad to hear that occasionally you have some academic commitments that might distract you from this, you know, uh, blossoming career that you've launched. And, uh, y- you know, sometimes I forget that, that I'm talking to someone like what, what grade are we in now? <laughs> Sophomore high school. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tend to forget that because you probably get this a lot. You are, you know, a little beyond your years as a host, I would say. Well, thank you once again, Joe, for coming on the podcast today. It's brilliant to be speaking with you once again. Our perseverance has paid off for a successful college basketball season over the past winter. For many, it was so great to see your projections of the bracket again this past winter. What a tournament we've been treated to so far, right? So many Cinderella stories, a plethora of overtime periods, too, in the first 52 games of the championship before we dive into our thoughts of what's been a roller coaster, of course, over the past week. I want to ask you just how amazing it felt to see a bracket published by the NCAA because it's something that we didn't even get published last season. You put in so much hard work throughout the year to put in those projections and update, especially towards conference championship week. You're updating every couple of hours, right? So how amazing was it to see a bracket published by the NCAA because this season your hard work finally paid off again? It it was extremely cool. I'm not going (laughs) to... I'm not going to lie. You know, there's a little bit of a Christmas morning element yeah. to select Sunday for the hardcore college basketball fans. And, and certainly, you know, I consider myself a fan above all else, more of the game in general, you know, than, than particular schools or, or players. To me, the heartbreak of a year ago was more for the Dayton's and the San Diego States of the world you know, who, who don't typically, you know, live in the realm of one and two seeds. And I'm sure we talked about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing against the, the Dukes and the Kentuckys. But, well, normally you'd say they're there every year. Yeah. Of course, this year, neither, neither was in the field. But, I mean, that's an anomaly, to be sure. And, and I think that seeing the bracket and i mean let's let's have the proper perspective here like some basketball games were not played last year that in the in the bigger picture of what's happened to society you know that's relatively insignificant uh and and the the act of having the tournament back is certainly not going to bring back any of the lives that have been lost. So I'm not equating, you know, the return of the NCAA tournament with anything that's genuinely important. Uh, but that doesn't mean we can't miss it and like it and be happy about and celebrate its return. Uh, because we're all allowed to like things 
And, you know, I think the basketball gods have rewarded our perseverance, your word, and a good one, with several years worth of drama in one four-day or five-day spate of games. And, you know, now, you know, we're kind of pins and needles waiting for the next round to start because it was so great. It was brilliant too. And like you mentioned, I think it's, it's an anomaly for those teams to miss out, but as well, just in the bigger picture of things, just stepping back from the world a little bit and being able to watch basketball for a couple hours on a weekday felt so good. Again, it was so great to send out that text again to my friends to join our bracket pool. That was an amazing text that I had to send. And so far there's been an absolute plethora of amazing games right in the first four even so many upsets in the couple first couple rounds but also just so many games so many great storylines right in this ncaa tournament like you mentioned just getting basketball on the television again a little bit of a distraction from what's going on in our world right now it's been a brilliant and like you mentioned we watched 60 well what was it 16 so 32 games in two days right and then then we got to watch another 16 the next two days and now we've had to wait well, for a couple 31 of games. games. One of them didn't Including, get played. You are, you are correct. That's a testament to the NCAA too, right? Because I was still a little bit nervous that that might happen uh, at a more wide stance yep. just because the fact that everyone is kind of close together. And I mean, while that is good at the same time, they're not traveling. I thought it was at least going to happen once. And of course it did. Hopefully going forward in these bigger games, that's not going to be the case. But that's actually what I want to transition to next. It's kind of a nice segue into the Indianapolis bubble, right? Because I think it has affected some of these games, right? Because these teams don't have the amount of fans that they would have in a regular NCAA basketball game tournament. Their families are there, of course, but even in Lucas Oil Stadium, one half of the one half of the stadium is completely shut off and the other half is a basketball court with a couple of fans, right? So what have been your thoughts on this bubble so far? Because everyone's under the same roofs, the same hotels, the same practice facilities, and it adds a whole other mm-hmm. dynamic to this tournament. And it's affected the tournament so far, and we're seeing that in these first couple rounds. Yeah, but I don't know how we measure it, mm. right? I mean, y- y- you know, without being inside of a particular team's bubble right like maybe there there's a a a a lot of schools that are loosey-goosey and have gone through through this in other tournaments in the regular season or in their conference tournaments and by loosey-goosey i don't mean you know breaking protocol i mean that they've kind of adapted to the new environment and they're just not negatively affected by it right uh, j- just like people in other you know walks of life they, they, there are people that don't mind going into restaurants um i haven't been in a restaurant in over a year uh that's just a choice that our family has made uh and and i think we've had to learn to respect everyone's choices uh, uh, about these things. And yet I think other teams, you know, like let's remember that while they may be very large people who play major college basketball, a lot of them are still pretty young. And, you know, we may think 
that that guy who looks like the big burly tough power forward who knocks everybody over in the lane to get a rebound you know wouldn't be afraid of anything but I've talked to coaches both before the tournament bubble and since they've been in Indy who are like you'd be shocked to hear who on our team is afraid of getting the test every day, you know, or doesn't like the swabbing. Uh, and, and, you know, we can't possibly know what is going on inside the heads of these players in the other 22 hours a day, that they're not on television. Uh, you know, maybe somebody's mom is sick or, or, or maybe somebody, you know, had other hardship in, in, in their family or in their circle. And of course, that's going to impact the other things in their life, including basketball. So, you know, I, I tend to want to give a fair amount of slack when we see teams, what we think is underperforming or underachieving, because we honestly don't know what they're going through. And therefore, we honestly can't predict, at least with anything other than a hunch, how it might, you know, affect the actual score of a game. Uh, but it's sure been fun to try. <laughs> it's another element, too, right, because these players and coaches and staff are getting tested every single day. And it's been great to see the, the low number of cases that we've had so far. But it's... For teams like Oregon, right? We just mentioned them getting ready to play a basketball game, VCU even, like getting ready to play a basketball mm -hmm. game and the game gets shut off. I was really impressed with Oregon in that second round game against Iowa, of course, because I thought they were going to get their butts kicked just because of the mere fact that they didn't play the next, like the previous day. Maybe that helped them fitness-wise going forward against Iowa, but I was expecting the opposite. I thought it was a lot that Oregon would win the game. The way that they did win the game too, right? I, I, I mean... I thought it was a perfect setup for Dana Altman and that, that they would exploit Iowa's weaknesses, which is basically, uh, I don't want to say an inability, but a strategic choice to basically not guard the other team. Yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I thought that would look, I was great fun to watch, but I thought it would cost them in the tournament and, you know, it did. 95 points, right? They give up 95 points. To right. Win. Insane. In the college basketball. You know, you're, you're asking for trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I want to move into again now. Nice transition into the Big Ten, right? Because, of course, it was the talking point of the whole college basketball season. Nine teams in the tournament. Michigan State goes down after leading in the first half against UCLA. And then mm -hmm. just goes downhill from there, right? Of course, the Ohio State upset wisconsin i think had a really good game against north carolina i was excited to see them beat them but of course they fell to baylor michigan the only remaining big 10 team in the field. hard to believe really and and, and they probably they, i think they're going to go out against florida state this weekend if i'm if i'm really being honest but it's been absolutely insane to see all these big team big 10 teams fall i think there's been a couple of stats the other the other day just talking about the big 10 and, and their non-conference opponents and how weak they were a little bit but also right. conference play, we saw all season just how much Big Ten teams were hurting one another, right? Because no Big Ten team was really dominant over the other. And we saw that in the conference championship and the conference tournament. So what have been your thoughts on the Big Ten this so far? Nine teams at the start and only one remained. What have been your thoughts just in general on the Big Ten really 
collapsing in these big games because they had nine to start and Michigan's the only one that remains. Well, I think part of it is kind of random bad luck, mm. right? Like, like we are dealing with a one and done situation. Yeah. And y- you know, the upset, if you will, isn't that we've had a lot of upsets. Like it's more unusual when we don't mm. right now, there may have been a few more than average, but I mean, every year there are double digit seats that win. Almost every year there are double digit seats playing in the Sweet 16. Yeah. Now, to have, you know, 10s, 11s, 12s, 13s, 14s, 15s all win, you know, in the case of Oral Roberts multiple times in the same tournament, certainly that is more extreme than we would typically see. But Everyone was saying how unpredictable it was going to be because of the uneven schedules and the the differing number of games and the pauses that different teams have had, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's not even factoring in the different environment of the bubble versus a typical tournament. So, you know, to think it was going to be a lot of favorites uh, or overwhelmingly so was probably not a good bet uh you know specific to the big 10 like what 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 i would say is you know if we're going to judge a conference or a group of teams is it more accurate to do it over the results from let's say four days last week or four months yeah right like for the last decade the big 10 and also the Big 12, I mean, they, they only have one team left also. And they got, I mean, they didn't get as many teams as the Big 10, but they got a higher percentage of their league in, right? Seven out of 10 Big 12 teams made it. Nine out of 14 Big 10 teams made it. Is actually a higher percentage of Big 12 teams among what was available. And here they are with one each. And, you know, what I would say is, like, for a decade or more, the Pac-12, which is the darling of the moment, and rightfully so, you know, the Pac-12 has been sending a third of its teams to the tournament. So, you know, if we're judging it over the long haul, to suddenly suggest that the Pac-12 is the greatest basketball conference, you know, in the history of Western civilization which is what it sounds like in certain corners of the media, that seems to me to be a bit mm. of an overreaction. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see because, of course, there's that matchup. I believe it's in Gonzaga's region, right, with USC and Oregon this weekend, Pac-12 mm-hmm. versus Pac-12. Didn't think that was coming. That's what I move, want to move into right now because the Sweet 16 is, of course, Saturday and Sunday. And we have to wait a couple more days, of course, until the Elite Eight and it happens till next weekend. But these games on Saturday and Sunday, we have so many amazing games, right? Baylor versus Villanova, really looking forward to that. Of course, USC, Loyal Chicago, Oregon State, two teams that are, I think, a little bit underseeded. Syracuse, Houston, UCLA, Alabama, and Michigan, Florida State. So just going into these couple games, we'll start up, I guess, in the games that are going to happen Saturday. We'll start out with the game Baylor versus Villanova. I'm really looking forward to this, of course, because, of course, a lot of Pennsylvania people, big Villanova fans, right? 
but Baylor is one of the best mm-hmm. teams in college basketball. Jay Wright's guided this team to two wins and two pretty dominant wins in the fashion that they've won, of course, beating uh, Winthrop and then beating North Texas pretty dominantly last weekend. But they're going to go up against a Baylor team that looks like they can shut down all of Villanova's strengths, which is really concerning to me. Focusing on this game, Baylor versus Villanova, what are your thoughts going into it and one of the matchups that you're looking forward to? Because watching the past couple of days, I think Baylor can shut down a lot of things that Villanova does pretty well. Yeah, I I, I I don't think this is a good matchup for Villanova. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's not their fault that their most important player is yeah. hurt, right? <laughs> not Maybe not their best, most yeah. talented player, but... Important, I think. Is really important. And, you know, they are in the Sweet 16, and that's another feather in their cap, to be sure. But, I mean, they beat a 12 and a 13. Yeah. So you know, I'm I'm not going to jump up and down and say, this is going to be their third championship in five tournaments. Yeah. Because it's not. And, and I, I, I think that I I actually think that this is going to be fairly decisive in Baylor's Mm. favor. Yeah. And Baylor, I think their defense too, against Villanova, I think Villanova, they're, they're going to try to slow the game down, right? But I think that Baylor's defense is a lot better than North Texas's defense. I think their defense is a lot better than Winthrop's defense, right? And, of course, yeah. they have a brilliant offense as well. So I think it's it's sad to say, but Baylor, I think they're going to make the Final Four. I have them in my national championship game. I think they're the second-best team in basketball right now. Moving over, to the best, moving, moving over to the other side of the bracket, though, I think the best team in basketball right now, Gonzaga versus another biggest team in Creighton as a five seed, of course, beating UCSB in a really close matchup and then beating Ohio pretty decisively. Creighton is a team that can really shoot threes. Of course, they've been known for it for a long time under McDermott, but they're going up against the best team in basketball. I don't think this is going to be fairly close just because I've seen Creighton's weaknesses over the season. Gonzaga is the most complete team in basketball. I think everyone will agree with that, but just a little quick thoughts, quick bullet points on this Gonzaga Creighton game. I don't think this one's going to be fairly close either. Yeah, I think that this is like first team to 90 wins. And it's going to be Gonzaga. Yeah. Uh, and un- unless there's a marked, you know, kind of change in their way of playing mm. or performing. Uh, and and I like Creighton a lot. They were actually in my preseason Final Four, believe it or not. Uh, but But when you look at it, you know, Creighton's way of playing is not really that dissimilar from Gonzaga. So, so, so they're going to have to try and beat them at their own game with players who aren't as good. And, and that's not a knock on Creighton. What it is is a statement about how historically good the Zags are. So, uh, yeah, I like the Zags big in this one. I don't think we have to really say any more about that game, but moving on, it's a game that I'm really looking forward to, of course, which is going down tomorrow afternoon. Loyola Chicago against Oregon State, right? This Loyola Chicago team is better than that team in 2018 who went to the Final Four. I think that's pretty clear. Of course, being Illinois at their own game, but of course, now they're playing an Oregon State team who's won the Pac-12 Conference Championship, beating Tennessee very decisively. I, don't, I still don't know how Tennessee was a 5 seed. I think that's still a little bit shocking to me. And then, of course, they beat Cade Cunningham last weekend in Oklahoma State. But now they're playing a Loyola Chicago team who's favored by seven in this game. 
I think that's a little bit generous. I think they probably cover. My prediction is Laura Chicago over Oregon State just because I think Laura Chicago is playing as one of the best teams in college basketball now. But so is Oregon State. At the same time, though, I think this is where Oregon State finally gets out. And Laura Chicago, they have one of the best coaches in college basketball, in my opinion. They have, of course, that NCAA tournament experience. I think they move on to the Elite Eight once again. Yeah, and if they make it to the Final Four, I mean, two of the last three tournaments, I tend to look at things more like in, in the longer view. And like for a school at Loyola Chicago's level to make two Final Fours in, in, in this period of time, it's just extraordinary. Yeah. Like the deck is so stacked against teams and schools at that level. Uh, and now the region has just kind of blown apart, yeah, oh right? And and I, I think some people think that they're the favorite now yeah. in that region. Yeah. I, I'm not sure I agree with that. I, I, mm. I could really see three of the four teams winning it. I, I, I don't see Oregon State winning it. Yeah. But I could see Loyola, I could see Syracuse, and I could see Houston. So uh, having said that, what will probably happen is Oregon State will win it. <laughs> and moving on to the other game because the midwest like you said it's just been absolute bonkers right far i actually i did pick syracuse to win two games i'm excited about this game i think even now two matchup against houston i'm gonna get your thoughts on this matchup because houston of course won a really close game against rutgers who should have won rutgers should not should not have lost that game against Agreed. Houston. but now they play a syracuse team i'm really looking forward to this matchup of course it's a nightcap on Saturday evening. So what are your thoughts on this matchup and who do you think is going to advance to the Elite Eight? Well, I do think that, that Houston somehow has become perpetually underrated. Mm. Like this is like three, four years in a row now where they've yep. won like 30 games or the equivalent of 30 games in a full year and, and been a top four seed. Like what more do they have to do? Exactly. Uh, having said that, Syracuse is is hot again and 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 they're doing this thing like like shane you're not old enough to remember but like when i was in high school and college syracuse excelled in the regular season and then choked in the tournament pretty much all the time uh and now they've completely flipped that script and you know since i never seem to get them right i'm probably the wrong person to make a prediction on the game but they should be nervous. Their fans should be nervous that I like them to win this game. Uh, mostly because they're hot. Yeah. And, and, and I can't seem to really ever make an educated or a good guess on when they won't be. I think also too, it's their defense, right? I'm going to pick Houston to win this game just because I think they can win those close games. You saw them come back against Rutgers, but they did not look good against Rutgers, right? I think we have to make that a point. They did not mm -hmm. look very good against Rutgers. But, of course, the last game that I think we can talk about a little bit is the Michigan-Florida State game just because this is a really game. This is a really popular game. A lot of teams had – a lot of a lot of people have Florida State in their Elite Eight. This was a game that a lot of people were circling pre the tournament that I think Florida State mm -hmm. would want to win this game, and rightly so because they beat two, two good teams in Greensboro and Colorado, of course, dominating them. They look really good. Michigan, on the other hand, coming into the tournament – a lot of people didn't really like them to get to the final four. I, I do have them in my final four and they're going up against a Florida state team. I just don't think this is a really good matchup for Michigan. What are your thoughts? I don't think it's a bad matchup. I, I, I think, I think the game is 
ultimately going to come down to how efficient Michigan is mm. in its half court offense. They, 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 you know, they, they actually played a really good game against LSU in the yeah. last round. Uh, and, and they, they, they couldn't get stops in the first half, but once they started getting stops in the second half, because they can score from every position on the floor, even without Isaiah livers, you know, they, they still have double figure potential from every position. Yeah. Uh, now Florida States, you know, they're going to grind you and, and make it tough to score, but you know, isn't that the way they play in the big 10 all year long? So I, I picked Florida state in this game when, when the brackets came out because it was hard to, to say how Michigan would be without livers. Yeah, but but ha- having seen how they played against LSU, I'm, I'm feeling better about the Wolverines chances in this one. Real quick, before we wrap up the episode, I want to talk a little bit about the teams going forward. Right. And we talked a little bit about the teams who are probably going to advance to the lead eight, but those under seeds were going to make the final four. So bar Luro Chicago, out of these teams like UCLA, Oral Roberts, Syracuse, you could probably even throw in a team like Oregon into this mix that are underdogs to make the final four. What's your favorite team that's below a seven seed right now that's still in the tournament that you're looking to make the final four? I think you'd have to go with Syracuse. Uh, I mean, we, we've seen this movie recently, mm. right? Where, you know, on the bubble, on the bubble, on the bubble, are they going to get in? And here they get in, and then suddenly they look like, you know, the Celtics. And, you know, that region is wide open. Yeah. Uh, if, if they, you know, if they beat Houston, I mean, they would be favored, I'm sure, against Oregon State. And, you know, maybe a small underdog against Loyola. Um, Yeah. You know, maybe at some point, Buddy Beheim goes three for 15. Mm. Right. And they, and, and, and they lose. Uh, But he, he sure looks like he thinks every shot's going in right now. I think also, right, I think you have to look at their matchups, right, and we talked a little bit about that, of course, they beat mm-hmm. Houston, they got a team, an 8-seed or a 12-seed, and you look at UCLA, of course, they got to play Alabama, and then if they win that, they got to play Michigan or Florida State, and then you got Oregon mm-hmm. and USC side, it doesn't really matter if they win, because they got to play Gonzaga in the next round, right, of course, or Roberts, I mean, they're a great team right now, and actually, I actually want to talk a little bit about Oral Roberts, because they're going up against an Arkansas team, who actually Arkansas to lose to Colgate in the first round because that's how confident I was with Colgate to knock down their shots, which is something that they did do in that first round in the first half of that game. Of course, mm-hmm. Texas Tech almost beat Arkansas last week. I think Oral Roberts has a shot to win this game, but once again, you got to play Baylor. But we're looking before we wrap up the episode. Give a little bit of your thoughts on Oral Roberts and going into the tournament. What was your information on this team and, and, and what were your feelings about them because they had won their conference championship and booked a place in the tourney in your bracketology? Yeah, no, I had them as a 15. Mm. And I also picked them in, in, in my public bracket to beat Ohio State. Mm. Uh, for the reason that I'd seen them a number of times. I knew that they had the leading score in the country. Uh, I thought Max Smith would be the best player on the court. He was, yeah. in, in that game against Ohio State. And that's not a knock on Ohio State. Mm. Uh like I think Ohio State overachieved its roster. 
and and that's to their credit, not not an insult. I, I just I, I didn't think it was the true talent gap of a two versus a fifteen normally. Mm. I thought it was maybe more like a four thirteen or a five twelve. Yeah, felt like that. Yeah. And and because of that, I went out on a limb a bit with Oral Roberts, <laughs> and here we are. Uh, you know, having said that. their secret sauce if you will is getting you know more publicly known with each passing round and now with you know several days to prepare instead of just a a one-day turnaround um i i think arkansas is going to be ready Mm. and like i don't think arkansas is like national championship good Mm -hmm. but they're going to beat oral roberts yeah Uh, just because i think time's up Mm. Well, it's been a great one so far, too, with Oral Roberts. I think that's, mm-hmm. what's made, that's what's made this tournament so great is I, I think it was someone before the game, too, against Oral Roberts. They were telling me about the, the, that kid that you mentioned, right, and how he, and he's the highest scorer kid in the country. And, of course, they come out and they beat Florida, too, in a really close game. They've won two really tight games, which has impressed me the most about this team is they've been really good in clutch situations, right, against Ohio State and then against Florida. But real quick, before we wrap up the episode, I want one word from you that, you, that you've just – describing the tournament so far but also i guess just going forward that's going to really decide who's going to be the national champion of 2021 one word one characteristic of a team could be anything i'm going to say historic Mm. i think the fact that you know the nation has gone through a historic pandemic and still managed to give us a great tournament is one factor and i think gonzaga is historically good uh, and, and you, you know, this is an event where the best team doesn't always win because of the one-and-done nature. And, in fact, the best team rarely wins. Uh, but I think the historic nature of Gonzaga, I think they're going to finish the story and be that first undefeated national champion since 1976. It's going to be a, surely a great Sweet 16, but also, of course, looking forward to that Final Four, whoever it may be, because it looks like mm-hmm. we're going to at least have one seed probably over a four or a five, right? So it's going to be amazing to watch this tournament. Thank you so much, Joe, once again, for coming to the podcast. Before we wrap it up, where can my audience find you on ESPN, but of course, also nowadays. And what are you doing right now watching the tournament, right? Because your work's on bracketology-wise, and you're able to sit back and relax and watch these games. So how has the last week been for you? Um, but also where can my audience find you on, for your work on ESPN? Well, I'm at ESPN Lenardi on Twitter. Uh, the new Bracketology book is out, of course, at triumphbooks.com. And uh, where, you know, retail books are sold. And what I'm doing is being a fan, loving it. And uh, next year's Bracket will make its debut on April 20th. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I'm looking forward to that first edition of Bracketology. Everyone, I'm imploring you guys right now to stop the episode. Go give Joe a follow on Twitter, but also go give his Bracketology read because they're absolutely brilliant. I actually went back today and looked back at your let your last projected bracket and it's really to just see the teams that were in that, but also your reasonings behind that because you do such great work throughout the season. Of course, your work was rewarded this year, which is so great to see. But once again, thank you so much, Joe, for coming on the podcast. As always, you can find us at the Shane Holcomb Show on Instagram, but also at Shane Holcomb 13 for me on Twitter. College basketball fans, we're in for an awesome couple of days and an awesome couple of weeks. Until next time, I am S-H-A-N-E, and I'll talk soon.